Chapter Two of the Silent Battle by George Gibbs. Recording by Tony Oliva. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Babes in the Woods. Gallatin's responsibilities to his creator had been multiplied by two. Less than an hour ago, he had dropped his rod and creel more than half convinced that it didn't matter to him or to anybody else whether he got back to Joe Kegon or not. Now he suddenly found himself hustling busily in the underbrush, newly alive to the exigencies of the occasion, surprised even at the fact that he could take so extraordinary an interest in the mere building of a fire back and forth from the glade to the deep woods he hurried bringing dry leaves twigs and timber these he piled against a fallen tree in the lee of the spot he had chosen for his shelter and in a moment a fire was going many things bothered him he had no axe and the blade of his hasp knife was hardly suited to the task he found before him if his hands were not so tender as they had been a month ago, and if into his faculties a glimmering of woodcraft had found its way, the fact remained that this blade, his colt, fishing rod, and his wits, such as they were, were all that he possessed in the uneven match against the forces of nature something of the calm ruthlessness of the mighty wilderness came to him at this moment the immutable trees rose before him as symbols of a merciless creed which all the forces around him uttered with the terrible eloquence of silence he was an intruder from an alien land of no importance in the changeless scheme of things less important than the squirrel which peeped at him slyly from the branch above his head or the chickadee which piped flute-like in the thicket the playfellow of his strange summer had become his enemy only jocular and ironical as yet but still an enemy with which he must do battle with what weapons he could find it was the first time in his life that he had been placed in a position of complete dependence upon his own efforts. The first time another had been dependent on him. He and Joe had traveled light, for this, he had learned, was the way to play the game fairly. Nevertheless, he had a guilty feeling that until the present moment, he had modified his city methods only so far as was necessary to suit the conditions the man of the wilderness had imposed upon him, and that Joe, after all, had done the work. He realized now that he was fronting primeval forces with a naked soul, as naked and almost as helpless as on the day when he had been born. It seemed that the capital of his manhood was now for the first time to be drawn upon in a hazardous venture, the outcome of which was to depend upon his own ingenuity and resourcefulness alone. 
and yet the fire was sparkling merrily he eyed the blade in his hand as he finished making two roof supports and sighed for joe keegon's little axe his hands were red and blistered already and the lean-to only begun there were still the boughs and birch bark for a roof and the cedar twigs for a bed to be cut he worked steadily but it was an hour before he found time to go down to the stream to see how his fugitive fared she was still sitting as he had left her on the bank of the stream gazing into the depths of the pool how are you getting on he asked i i'm all right she murmured is the ankle any better i think i'd better be getting you up to the fire now perhaps you'd be willing to cook the fish while i hustle for twigs of of course he noticed the catch in her voice and when he came near her discovered that she was trembling from head to foot are you suffering still he questioned anxiously no not so much but i am very cold that's too bad we'll have you all right in a minute put your arms around my neck so and bending over with care for her injured foot he lifted her again in his arms and carried her up the hill this time she yielded without a word nor did she speak until he had put her down on his coat before the fire i don't know how to thank you she began then don't put your foot out toward the blaze and rub it again you're not so cold now are you no no i think it's just nervousness that makes me shiver she sighed softly i never knew what a fire meant before it's awfully good the warmth of it he watched her curiously the fire was bringing a warm tint to her cheeks and scarlet was making more decisive the lines of her well-modeled lips it did not take gallatin long to decide that it was very agreeable to look at her as he paused she glanced up at him and caught the end of his gaze which was more intense in its directness than he had meant it to be and bent her head quickly toward the fire her lips drawn more firmly together a second acknowledgment of her sense of the situation a manifestation of her convincing femininity which confirmed a previous impression there was quick refuge in the practical i'm going to clean the fish he said carelessly and turned away i'd like to help if i could she murmured you'd better nurse your ankle for a while he said it's much better now she put in i can move it without much pain she thrust her stocking foot farther toward the blaze and worked the toes slowly up and down but as she did so she flinched again i'm not of much use am i she asked ruefully but while you're doing other things i might prepare the fish oh no i'll do that let's see 
we need some sticks to spit them on let me make them she put her hand into the pocket of her dress and drew forth a knife you see i can help great he cried delightedly you haven't got a teapot a frying pan some cups and forks and spoons hidden anywhere have you she looked up at him and laughed for the first time a fine generous laugh which established at once a new relationship between them no i haven't but i've a saucepan where in amazement tied to my creel over there and she pointed and a small package of tea and some biscuits i take my own lunch when i fish i didn't eat any today wonderful a saucepan i was wondering how tied to your creel you say and he started off rapidly in the direction of the spot where he had found her and please b bring my rod and and my shoe she cried he nodded and was off through the brush finding the place without difficulty it was a very tiny saucepan which would hold at the most two cupfuls of liquid but it would serve he hurried back eagerly, anxious to complete his arrangements for the meal, and found her propped up against the back log, his creel beside her, industriously preparing the fish. How did you get over there? he asked. Crawled. I couldn't abide just sitting. I feel a lot better already. That was very imprudent, he said quickly. We'll never get out of here until you can use that foot oh i hadn't thought of that demurely i'll try to be careful did you bring my shoe and legging he held them out for her inspection you'd better not try to put them on not tonight anyway tomorrow perhaps tomorrow she looked up at him and then at the frames of the lean-to as though the thought that she must spend the night in the woods had for the first time occurred to her. A deep purple shadow was crawling slowly up from the eastward, and only the very tops of the tallest trees above them were catching the warm light of the declining sun. The woods were dimmer now, and distant trees, which a moment ago had been visible, were merged in shadow some of the birds too were beginning to trill their even song yes he went on you see it's getting late there's hardly a chance of anyone finding us tonight but we're going to make out nicely if you really insist on cleaning those fish i do and on making some tea then i must get the stuff for your bed before it's too dark to see he filled the saucepan with water at the stream, then turned back into the woods for the cedar twigs. The bed comes first, he muttered to himself. That's what Joe would say. There's caribou moss up on the slope, and the balsam is handy. It isn't going to rain tonight, but I'll try to build a shelter anyway. Bows now and canoe birches tomorrow, if I can find any. But I've got to hustle. Six pilgrimages he made into the woods, bringing back each time armloads of boughs and twigs. 
he was conscious presently of a delicious odor of cooking food and long before he had brought in his last armful she pleaded with him to come and eat but he only shook his head and plunged again into the bushes it was almost dark when he finished and threw the last load on the pile he had made when he approached he found her sitting motionless watching him both creels beside her her hand holding up to the fire a stick which stuck through the fish she had cooked the saucepan was simmering in the ashes how do they taste he asked cheerfully i haven't eaten any why not i was waiting for you oh you mustn't do that sharply i didn't want you to wait you know she interrupted i'm your guest i didn't know it he laughed i thought i was yours it's your saucepan but your fish she added and then indicating a little mischievously except that biggest one which was mine but i'm afraid they'll be cold i've waited so long you must eat at once you're awfully tired oh no i've still got a lot to do i'll just take a bite and please sit down you must really her fingers touched the sleeve of his shirt and he yielded sinking beside her with an unconscious sigh of relaxation which was more like a groan he was dead tired how tired he had not known until he had yielded she saw the haggard look in his eyes and the lines which the firelight was drawing around his cheekbones and at the corners of his mouth and it came to her suddenly that he might not be so strong as she had thought him if he was an invalid from the south the burden of carrying her through the woods might easily have taxed his strength she examined his face critically for a moment and then fumbling quickly in the pocket of her dress drew forth a small new-looking flask which gleamed brightly in the firelight here she said kindly take some of this it will do you good gallatin followed her motion wearily her hand had even reached the cap of the bottle and had given it a preparatory twist before he understood what it all meant then he started suddenly upright and put his fingers over hers no he muttered huskily not that i i don't i won't have anything thank you and as she watched his lowering brows and tightly drawn lips puzzled and not a little curious he stumbled to his feet and hurriedly replaced a log which had fallen from the fire but when a moment later he returned to his place his features bore no signs of discomposure i think i'm only hungry he mumbled she unhooked the largest fish from the stick and handed it to him daintily there that's yours i've been saving it for you just to convince you that i'm the better fisherman i don't doubt it he said soberly i'm a good deal of a duffer at this game but then she put in generously you caught more than i did and that evens matters 
They had begun eating now, and in a moment it seemed that food was the only thing they had lacked. As became two healthy young animals, they ate ravenously of the biscuits she had carried and all of the fish she had prepared, and then Gallatin cooked more. The girl removed the metal cup from the bottom of her flask, and taking turn and turn about with the tiny vessel, they drank the steaming tea. In this familiar act, they seemed to have reached at once a definite and satisfactory understanding. Gallatin was thankful for that, and he was careful to put her still further at her ease by a somewhat obtrusive air of indifference. She repaid him for this consideration by the frankness of her smile. He examined her furtively when he could, and was conscious that when his face was turned in profile, she too was studying him anxiously, as only a woman in such a situation might. Whatever it was that she learned was not unpleasing to her, for as he raised his hand to carry the tea to his lips, her voice was raised in a different tone. Your hands, she said. They're all cut and bleeding. He glanced at his broken knuckles impersonally. Are they? I hadn't noticed before. You see, I hadn't any hatchet. Won't you let me? Hadn't you better bathe them in the water? A bath wouldn't hurt them, would it? I don't mean that. Don't they hurt? No, not at all. But I wish I had Joe's axe. Who's Joe? My guide. Oh, she questioned no further, for here she realized instinctively were the ends of the essential, the beginnings of the personal, and so the conversation quickly turned to practical considerations. Of one thing she was now assured, her companion was a gentleman. What kind of a gentleman she had not guessed, for there were many kinds she had discovered, but there was nothing unduly alarming in his manner or appearance, and she concluded for the present to accept him, with reservations, upon his face value. His body fed, Gallatin felt singularly comfortable. The problems that had hung so thickly around his head a while ago were going up with the smoke of the fire. Here were meat, drink, and society. Were not these, after all, the end and aim of human existence? Had the hoary earth with all its vast treasures ever been able to produce more? He took his pouch from his pocket and, asking if he might smoke, lit his pipe with a coal from the fire, for matches were precious, and sank back at the girl's feet. The time for confidences were there to be any had arrived. She felt it in the sudden stoppage of the desultory flow of comment and in the polite, if appraising, steadiness of his gaze. I suppose you have a right to know what I'm doing here, she said, flushing a little. But there isn't anything to tell. I left our camp as you did, to fish. I've done it before, often, sometimes alone, sometimes with a party. 
I... I wasn't alone this morning, and I... I... She hesitated, frowning. It doesn't matter in the least about that, of course, she went on quickly. I... I got separated from my companion and went farther into the brush than I had intended to do. When I found out that I had lost my way, I called again and again. Nobody answered. Then something happened to me. I don't know what. I think it must have been the sound of the echoes of my own voice that frightened me, for suddenly I seemed to go mad with terror. After that I don't remember anything, except that I felt I must reach the end of the woods, so that I could see beyond the barrier of trees which seemed to be closing in about me like living things. It was frightful. I only knew that I went on and on until I saw you, and after that... Her words were slower, her voice dropped a note, and then stopped altogether. And that is all, she finished. It's enough, God knows, he said, sitting upright. You must have suffered. I did. I wonder what got into me. I've never been frightened in the woods before. She turned her head over her shoulder and peered into the shadows. I don't seem to be frightened now. I'm glad. I'm going to try to make you forget that. You're in no danger here. Tomorrow I'll try to find my back trail, or Joe Kigon may follow mine. In the meanwhile, and he started to his feet, I've got a lot to do. Just sit quietly there and nurse your ankle while I make your bed. And if I don't make it properly the way you're used to having it, just tell me, won't you? Hair, please, with linen sheets and a down pillow, she enjoined. I'll try, he said with a laugh, for he knew now that the tone she used was only a cloak to hide the shrinking of her spirit. She sat as he had commanded, leaning as comfortably as she could against the tree trunk, watching his dim figure as it moved back and forth among the shadows. First he trod upon and scraped the ground, picking up small stones and twigs and throwing them into the darkness until he had cleared a level spot. Then, piece by piece, he laid the caribou moss as evenly as he could, he had seen Joe do this some days ago, when they had made their three-day camp. The cedar came next, and beginning at the foot and laying the twig ends upward, he advanced to the head, a layer at a time, thus successively covering the stub ends and making a soft and level couch. When it was finished, he lay on it and made some slight adjustments. I'm sorry it's not a pneumatic. And uh, about the blankets, but I'm afraid it will have to do. It looks beautiful, she assented. And I hate pneumatics. I'll be quite warm enough, I'm sure. To make the matter of warmth more certain, he pitched two of the biggest logs on the flames 
and then made a rough thatch of the larger boughs over the supports that he had set in position. When he had finished, he stood before her smiling. There's nothing left, I think, but to get to bed. I'm going off for enough firewood to last us until morning. Shall I carry you over now, or... Oh, I think I can manage, she said, her lips dropping demurely. I did before while you were away, you know. She straightened and her brows drew together. What I'm puzzled about now is about you. Where are you going to sleep? Me? That's easy. Out here by the fire. Oh, she said thoughtfully. End of chapter 2